we're essentially trying to synthesize about 65, 70 pages of reading in 30, 40 minutes. So we'll see how well we do in that, trying to distill um, some helpful information down to a couple, three points. So we'll get after it. Last week was our first class in this uh, new session in parenting that we're going to be spending uh, the next really basically three months. If you want to turn to the back page of your handout, you'll see the, the outline there. Uh, we are in week two as we're considering this week parenting by faith and not by formula. Last week, just by way of review, we reminded ourselves, okay, what's our calling as parents? We tried to make two points. We said our role is that we're not owners, but stewards, and we tried to make a distinction between ownership parenting and stewardship parenting, and that our task as parents has primarily to do with bringing an awareness of God and the good authority of God into all things. Remember we said last week, kind of underlying all of this, even if we're reminding ourselves, even if we don't have children in our home that we're currently parenting, we're walking through this, reminding ourselves that we're covenant members of a church together. And so even if this doesn't apply to you in your season of life, that hopefully it's applicable in the way that we pray for one another and pray for other parents. And two is we are always going to be speaking into one another's lives and hopefully giving good counsel according to the word of God that if you are older and your children are out of the home, this is wonderfully helpful as you come alongside young parents and seek to encourage them and pray for them. If you're younger, if you're single and unmarried, that you're anticipating, by God's grace, to be raising children, hopefully helpful as well. So even though this is specific to parenting children, in some ways it's applicable to any Christian as we want to be able to love and care for one another. I also mentioned last week at the start of the class a couple of pitfalls. Do you remember that? That I hope we avoid. Uh, one of the pitfalls is uh, that any sort of discussions about parenting can fall into is this obsession with pragmatism. Where you read a parenting book, you come up with an, the best new formula that it just came out, you hear about it from a friend, um, it's a podcast about how to be the best parent and have the best kids. And we love these kind of like checklist, pragmatic, plug and play formulas. And this imbalance, it tends to reduce parenting to essentially paint by numbers. Do you remember that? Those are great. It's just this line drawing, give me a number, give me a color. Really good for colorblind kids too, where you can just, you end up actually coloring um, the actual right colors. I, I speak as one who suffers from this. Um, the idea is just, just do this and your kid will come out like this. And we don't intentionally or maybe even say this out loud, but there's kind of this reliance upon these things where pragmatism takes over and we just say, if I just adopt the right method, then I'll find the right outcome. The title for this week's class is Parenting by Faith, Not Formula. And it's taken from the subtitle um, of a book by Julie Lowe, called Childproof. Uh, it's been put out by New Growth Press. Um, Julie sometimes writes for CCEF, and there's a number of just kind of helpful articles she's written out there, but last year or two, she came out with this book called Childproof. I think it's one of the, yeah, it's the second one, uh, recommended reading. I had a chance to read through it in the last couple weeks. There's a lot of helpful uh, wisdom in this book. So essentially, this morning is just a summary and a synthesis of some of the main points that Julie's trying to make in her book 
that I thought would be really helpful to pull in on the front of the class, lest we end up falling into the same pitfall of just give me the formula, give me the steps, give me the principles, and then I'll go plug it in over here, and we're good to go. So much of what we want to consider is this need to parent by faith. And what's kind of behind all of this is the underlying problem is, is not the, that the books, the methods, or the strategies don't work. Uh, it's not even that they're wrong. A lot of times they are right and filled with actual biblical wisdom. The problem has to do more with us. The problem has to do more with our assumptions and our attitude as parents. And the assumption is that if I just do these things, if I just follow this method, whether it be if I just shepherd to the heart, if I stick to the schedule, if I just be consistent, if I just be intentional, if I just have integrated church, if I do the method, then the result will, will be this. And so it's in some ways a false assumption because we're ending up trusting in what we can see, trusting in what we can do, um, trusting in what we have accomplished, like I followed the schedule, I followed the steps, I've gone after the heart, whatever you want to plug in there. And then the assumption is that I can expect this outcome. And so what we're getting at is really the wisdom of Proverbs 3.5. I think it's there on your handout. Just to keep before us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So in some ways, I'm getting at something that principally we all know as Christians, right? We, we never want to trust in our own wisdom. We never want to trust in our own efforts. But so much of parenting is that we go back to these default things that are just comfortable, and they end up actually being trusting in ourselves, trusting in our methods rather than the Lord. So here's the summary of what we want to talk about this morning. It's a statement that I'm going to read. I, I think it's the big idea there on page one. And then we're going to unpack these basically three statements. What we're suggesting instead is that we aim to parent by faith and not formula, according to the needs of our family, trusting in the wisdom and instruction of God. This is a counterbalance to all the temptation to trust in ourselves, trust in a formula, trust in a pattern. Instead of that, we are going to aim to parent by faith and not formula according to the needs of our family, trusting in the wisdom and instruction of God. So let's just walk through those three statements and try and unpack what we're getting at here and how the scriptures would give us some help. Okay, so number one, we're saying we want to aim to parent by faith and not formula. Fact of the matter is we love formulas. Whether you're a math person or not, we love formulas. We love recipes for parenting the appeal is I'll just follow the steps and check the box, and then I'm doing the job. And while this is usually unintentional, the sort of process that leads us to trust the process rather than trust the one who has given to us good wisdom. And we find this out if something goes wrong, the child deviates from the expected outcome, we assume one of two things. One, Either we didn't follow, follow the formula good enough, I should have just been more intentional with the schedule, or I didn't do this enough, or I didn't do that enough, or we assume, actually, this formula isn't good, I need to find a new formula. What's the other book? And we just kind of make those assumptions. 
I think we know this, but it's worth stating. Raising kids is not like computer programming. It's not like baking a cake. It's not like changing the brakes on your car. Because in raising children, there are so many more variables. There are constantly changing situations. There's factors that are unique to each kid, each season, each home. And children have varying temperaments, different needs. And all of them are ruined by sin and driven by a love for self. So there is no static formula that you can just lay on top of a child and say, I shall parent thee. There's, there's, there's something more that God is, is calling us to. So there's this tendency to take what we read or hear and build this one-size-fits-all approach to our children. Do these things and your home will be filled with blessedness and harmony and go forth and multiply. Here's a good summary of what Julie's getting at. It's on the bottom of page one. The answer we need as parents is not a formula for our families. I believe we should be looking at something more challenging. Instead of providing a parenting recipe, God calls parents to think biblically, wisely, and carefully about what uh, love looks like in their unique family. This calling requires an absolute dependence on godly wisdom, on spiritual discernment regarding my family, and on personal holiness to be what my family needs me to be. The goal is a home centered on Christ. This is not a formula I submit myself to, but neither is it a license to do whatever seems right in my own eyes. Far from it. Rather, it means a commitment to understanding Scripture's principles of godly relationships and the call and responsibility to lead a home. So here's the big idea of of what she's getting at and what we're trying to pull forth from this. The emphasis is upon faith because we want to stress where our confidence and rest comes from as parents. It's not in our methods. It's not in the formula. It's not in our ability to execute the plan. But in the character and person of God. That is where our confidence comes from as parents. In the character and person of God. Just to be clear, when we're saying that we parent by faith, that does not mean we're throwing our hands up in the air and just saying, I'm just trusting the Lord with this kid. And... We remain inactive or reactionary to the situation or just plow ahead as dogmatically militant. Parenting by faith is not inaction. Parenting by faith is not abdicating our responsibilities. Parenting by faith assumes three things. Number one, that God has given us instruction. And number two, that his wisdom is good for our children, good for us, and brings him glory. And then number three, that the goal is faithfulness, not the ideal family, calculated results, or just avoiding inconvenience. Those three things kind of all are underneath what we're saying when we say we're parenting by faith. That God has spoken, he's given us instruction, his instruction is good, and that this instruction is Uh, It's met, and and the goal is is faithfulness, not this ideal family that we've imagined in our head. So, part one, we're saying we're parenting by faith and not formula. The second statement in this is that we are doing this according to the needs of our family. 
This is a particularly helpful section in Julie's book where she talks about the reality of biblical wisdom, and part of biblical wisdom is to realize that there's no ideal family. Do you know what I mean by this? You have an ideal family in your head. It may or not, may not be biblically informed. You may have an idea of what that family looks like, what a Saturday morning looks like, what a Tuesday evening looks like, how they vacation, how they interact with one another, how kids grow and mature and move out of the home, how they relate to the home once they return and leave. We can have ideals in our mind that may or may not be actually biblical. That They may just be ideas that are cultural, that we imbibe from our culture and say, this is what a good, stable family looks like. But biblical wisdom recognizes there is no idealized family according to cultural standards or personal preference. We are, in fact, called to embrace the diversity of our individual home that God is most certainly sovereign over and promises to be faithful to us within it. Parenting by faith and parenting your specific family does not mean you compromise biblical truth, but it must mean you contextualize it to your home. How do we do that? Well, there's a couple of things to think through. If we're going to be faithful to not compromise biblical truth, but contextualize it to our home, then the first thing we're going to need to do is understand your spouse's strengths and weaknesses, you and your spouse. Again, pulling from uh, childproof, Becoming an expert on my family means that I need to study them. I need to know my spouse well. In her case, his strengths, weaknesses, gifts, interests, limitations, temptations, and look for godly ways to speak, nurture, and balance when needed. We consider each other's parenting styles and how we complement or contradict each other. We consider who tends to handle particular children or certain situations better. Again, do you see how this pushes against a formulaic understanding? You've got to look around the room and say, all right, who am I doing this with? Who am by God's design am I walking through this with? Whether I am married or whether I am unmarried and raising children in a single parent home, I need to recognize the dynamics of this home, who I'm doing this with, and what is our strengths, what is our weaknesses? If I'm married, how do they complement one another? So we're understanding what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, what are unique to your home in a, in a vocational situation. Sometimes some men may rise early to get out to their job, and so they leave early and they come home at a specific time. Some may work from home. Some of you both may working. Some of you may be both working from home. Some of you may be early risers, late risers. Just all the dynamics that are unique to you as those who have been created in the image of God being conformed to the image of Christ, what's unique about us that we need to understand who we are as image bearers of God and figure out where we complement and could contradict where those friction points could be. Understand you and your spouse's strengths and weaknesses. Number two, I think this is helpful as well. Learn to discern the differences between a sin issue and a physical or temperamental issue within your children. Trying to discern between, is this sin or is this what I'm calling temperamental or situational issue, it can be challenging. In my experience and observation, it's usually a mixture of both. Let me try and unpack what I mean. 
temperament, situational issues can very often and easily become sin issues. Put it in a for instance. For example, a kid who doesn't know what to do with their lack of ability to pay attention. Boredom. Forgetfulness. Social awkwardness. Because of those situational things, they can often respond in sinful ways. The situation or their temperament doesn't excuse sin, but sometimes you find them working in tandem. And so our job as parents is to discern between what is circumstantial, temperamental, what's a character issue, what's a, what's a personality issue that we need to speak to that may lead to a response that is biblically sinful. And so having a strong biblical framework is absolutely necessary to understand these categories and try and discern when something is just, this situation tends to bring about temptation within my child to cause them to respond in a way that is sinful. And so as a parent, that means I'm understanding and discerning the certain situations that can be volatile or lead them into temptation. And so I want to parent in such a way to get ahead of that and say, let's think about this situation And as we're going to unpack in a second, how do I parent in such a way to serve them? We need to look at the child as a whole, thinking of spiritual and physical. If we ignore the spiritual need for faith and obedience, do you know what happens? So much of the time we excuse our children and just excuse their sin and just say, well, this is just who they are. Or this is because of this. No, we can't do that. We have to recognize the spiritual need for faith and obedience so that we don't end up excusing sin. And at the same time, if we ignore temperamental or um, weaknesses in regards to individual differences, we end up turning a situation or a character issue into a disobedience issue when it may not be. There may be something else in play there. What I'm saying is that if we don't parent intentionally looking to evaluate each kid, the dynamic of the family, we become formulaic. And if you end up having more than one kid, you write the playbook for one, and here comes number two, that playbook doesn't work. Even if they're both boys, even if they both seem to have the same personalities on appearance, there is no formula for just parenting. Each kid looked at individually in each season of life. If we're not parenting intentionally, looking to evaluate each kid and the dynamic of family, we become formulaic. Let's just think through some of the differences and what we, maybe you've seen in your own home, how this works out. Some children are argumentative and are oppositional and defiant. Now let's be clear, all kids are but some really excel. They're head of the class. When they're given instruction, their typical go-to is to resist, to push back, to question. They need structure and accountability. At the same time, there can be other children who nod their heads, they're given instructions, and they just say, yes, absolutely, I understand, while inwardly, they are silently disagreeing. 
So it's not the obvious, I don't want to do this. It looks like obedience from the nodding of the head. But the heart is saying, oh, no, I'm not. They need someone to notice this and gently call them out. I've noticed that you said yes to instruction, but your actions have actually said no. Do you see that? That's the sort of intentionality we're talking about. Some children are sensitive. They tend towards fear, and they'll be withdrawn. They may shut down. They may lack self-awareness. So they're going to need a patient parent to draw them out and reflect that back to them. Let's talk about fear. What is that you're fearing above God? And why is that? Some children de uh, demonstrate developmental delays or impairments that impact how they hear and how they process information. So that means a parent needs to turn towards them and approach a tailor-made way in where they can um, meet the challenges so that they can learn, that they can hear, and they can respond. Again, faith and obedience are still required, but it requires a little bit of extra attention to say, okay, are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm not saying? Some children do not respond to laid-back parenting. They thrive on rhythms and routine. And so they need a highly structured, disciplined environment, or they are going to fall into unhealthy and sinful patterns. At the same time, you could look at another one and say, some children do not respond to overly structured households. They need extra time. They need less pressure. They need clear instruction. Faith and obedience still required. But the means by which that is implied may look different. You see what we're getting at here as far as turning towards your home and how a formula just doesn't work here? It, it demands of us as parents that we're looking at our spouses and our children with a sense of intentionality and individuality so that we can take what we know is required and apply it in a way that actually loves and serves our home. So again, what all of this reveals to us as parents is that our response must be based on individual need and not our preferences. Because here's where this gets tricky. You as a parent may love structure, thrive on structure, a well-ordered daily routine. And that may not work for a particular child. You may be the opposite. We'll just do whatever the day brings us. We'll just float through this, figure it out, and wasn't this great? And you can't figure out why your child is climbing the curtains and jumping from the mantel place to the couch because they are going insane. They're looking for some guardrails. And so we have our preferences, but we have to turn towards our children and say, what do they need? And how can I take the instruction that God has given to me in his word and apply this to this child, to this home, in this season? Our knowledge of our children should shape how we parent them, how we engage with their sin, how we engage with their temperament, their temptations, and how these temptations entice them and encourage specific growth within them. So, let's remember our, our statement that we're working from. We aim to parent by faith, not formula, according to the needs of our family. What's the third clause here. 
Well, we want to do all of this trusting in the wisdom and instruction of God. And you'll find the outline for this on page 3. Our knowledge of our children, although it's vitally important, is not all we need to parent wisely. We also need to become students of God's word. Become students of your home, but become students of God's word. The Bible is the authoritative voice that gives us the wisdom and the direction for how we parent. As Christians, we understand that the scriptures guide us how to live out our lives within our various earthly relationships according to the wisdom of God and in such a way that he receives glory. Parenting, the home, is no exception. Let's just think of Ephesians 6, first four verses, give us some pretty explicit instruction. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so we have some very clear instruction here. Children are to obey their parents, and it is to be done in such a way that parents are not provoking their children to anger, and that as parents are doing this, their goal is to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That is the clear teaching of Scripture. The details, though, of how that works out, of how that's applied to this particular child in this particular season, in this particular home, may have a particular nuance that's different than another family. The details of how these unchanging principles are worked out may vary from family to family according to your children's specific needs. But as we help our children learn to obey and to trust God and to think carefully about how to do this without provoking them, we can be confident we're at least moving in the right direction. Right? This is this instruction, 6, 1, 2, 4. That's like the road that we're on. So we're at least confident, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, whether I'm a pi- parent or a child. Wisdom, then, comes into play, and that it's how that is worked out here. And what we're saying is that wisdom allows for our methods to vary, but our principles remain fixed. Do you know the difference? There's an principle that is fixed that children are to obey their parents and the fathers are not to provoke their children to anger and all of this is to be done so the child is nourished and disciplined unto the Lord. That's fixed. Unchanging. Regardless of culture. Regardless of time in history. Now how that's worked out in culture, time of history, your home, their home, it it may vary a little bit. Scripture does not give us the specifics on how to help a child as they're flailing on the ground in the midst of a temper tantrum. Or what to do when your teen struggles with pornography. We don't have a chapter and verse for that. But it does give us the principles for parenting well, whether it be these categories of discipleship, discipline, stewardship, guidance, training. And it helps us to know then how to engage Um, relationally in those moments that we need to come alongside our children because we've been given these biblical categories of sin, confession, and repentance, 
forgiveness, restoration, as well as these wonderfully helpful categories of foolishness and wisdom, laziness and diligence, fear and faith. The Proverbs are so wonderful in helping us have some of these categories to say, that may not be a sin issue, but I could certainly say that's foolishness. And one of the more helpful things just in life is to recognize the, the nuance that say sin and righteousness, something may not be sin, but it might absolutely be foolish. And then it may lead to sin and it may lead to unrighteousness. Walk through the Proverbs and see what those various situations are. So here's the key. Parenting according to the needs of the family is only possible when we become students of Scripture. There's no other way to say it. I'm a student of my home, and I'm a student of Scripture. And so make it your aim, parents, to know what the Scriptures say and know what the Scriptures say specifically about anger, forgiveness, speaking the truth in love, desires, conflict. Because these principles of biblical wisdom, they, they guide us as well as God's Word, encouraging us to persevere as, as we're studying His Word. For example, how do we respond to conflict as parents? You probably think of this week, and okay, this is how I responded. How well does my response line up with biblical wisdom? Has God given us wisdom from His Word that we need to hear, obey, and respond in faith to? I think you've got a list there. Um, bottom of page three. This is again pulled um, from Lowe's book and just some, some helpful bullet points to think through. How did I respond to conflict? And what are the biblical categories of wisdom that we could say this is how we're called to respond to conflict? Okay, well, one is parents, don't provoke your children to anger or discouragement. It's Colossians 3. From Matthew 7, 5, we could distill this principle. Look at yourself first and teach your kids to be willing to look at their actions before pointing out another sin. A few dinner table conversations could be had around that one. Confessing how we haven't done that well, and then how the Lord seeks to grow us in that. James 1.19, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's really important in conflict. Am I actually hearing what they're saying? Or am I being quick to say, no, you're not, you're not saying that, you don't mean that. Am I quick to listen and slow to speak? Ephesians 4, 2, that I'm doing this in humility and patience. Okay, can I see that humility and patience have been the, the tone that, is, 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 that has shaped the instruction I've been trying to give to this child in this situation? Ephesians 4, 32, be willing and be tender toward them and forgive. Proverbs 20, verse 4, biblical wisdom there is to show understanding towards your children and to draw them out. That's the, the, the turn towards your children portion. What's happening here, this season of life? What are the in, influence and factors that are shaping this particular season? What are the assumptions that my child is bringing to this situation? Show understanding towards your children and, and draw them out. Proverbs 19.11 when possible, model the ability to overlook an offense. This is really challenging, but really refreshing when we grow in this. 
Because if we tend to be very angular and very binary in this is sin and righteousness, we may tend to be very heavy-handed in calling out all examples. There are certain offenses that can be overlooked. Now, wisdom is where we need to know when do we overlook and when do we press in. But it's kind of the choose your battles. Which hill do you want to die on? Sometimes you may recognize as a parent that there's a lot of factors that have gone into this morning and you yourself haven't served them well. And so that terse word on the, the way into the kitchen, on, into the bathroom, I could engage right now and we could go a couple rounds. Or love could overlook this and it can come up in another moment where maybe instruction would be received better. Not that we throw our hands up and say, well, I, I don't want that fight, so I'm just not going to touch it but the love and the wisdom that knows when to overlook and when to engage. And friends, that's just where we need God's wisdom. And that's where we need to grow in discernment and grow in these categories of sin and righteousness, wisdom and folly. 1 Peter 3, 9, the wisdom that says, do not return evil for evil. It's very easy as parents to take disobedience personally. How could you do that to me? When we say things like that, that's actually revealing the ownership stewardship thing that I'm assuming that I own you. And so any rebellion is actually a personal offense against me. But if I remember I'm a steward, then I'm still responsible. But that sin is ultimately against God. And so my job is to help serve you to draw out that folly and that sin. That God by his spirit would convict you of this. And that I can encourage you towards faith and obedience. So if we find ourselves taking the disobedience of our children personally, we will be more often than not prone to respond, 1 Peter uh, 3.9, to return evil. You did that to me? Guess what? Guess who doesn't have a car for the next 12 years of your life? <laughs> just some sort of retaliatory, disciplinarian, or even just the tone in which we speak, or the cold shoulder that we get. Or the way you can serve dinner and just flop the plate down and turn back to the kitchen. Speaking hypothetically. <laughs> James 4.1, this biblical wisdom, we are to help them see their hearts and desires in conflict. This is so good. What is, go read through James 4 and the logic there of why we sin or the, the disputes that happen there. What are we desiring? What is it the, what's the aim here? What's the end goal? What are you after? What has captured your heart? Son, daughter, do you see that nothing can capture your heart other than Christ that will not lead you into disappointment? Again, this is for maybe some older children as we're raising in that, but help them see their hearts and their desires. Biblical wisdom here, Philippians 2.3, consider the needs of others above your own. I, I'm convinced this is probably the hardest thing to do as a parent to consider their needs before my own. Because most every day my needs are screaming even louder than a child can scream. I want to be served. I don't want to serve you. Really, we're going to have this discussion right now at this point and this time and this day? Or we need to come aside and deal with discipline right now? But if we're turned towards our children and we're applying biblical wisdom, then I'm going to consider their needs before my own. So that means much of parenting is inconveniencing yourself for the benefit of them. Romans 12, 18, do what you can to live at peace with one another. 
There's good wisdom to be had there. James 5.16, biblical wisdom here, foster a willingness to confess sin and pray for one another. These are just in the context of conflict. But so much of parenting, I, I fear, is it's reactionary to conflict and then trying to do the best we can, but having a biblical framework to say before there's even a sense of conflict, th- these, are the, these, these are the principles that I want to shape any way that I engage with any one of my children or my spouse. So be a student of your home, but be a student of Scripture. Because no amount of studying your children without a biblical foundation is going to help them. And friends, I would also say you may be a student of Scripture and know your theology and your systematics, but if you don't know your children, you're not helping them as well. And so much of biblical principles are are those two realities. Taking what we know is eternally true and unchanging it and applying it to the ever-changing circumstances of our lives. So can you see the absolute folly of parenting by formula? Because there's so much dynamic change going on in every moment that while there may be good principles in this book or in this blog post or in these five checkpoints, but they may not be the best application in this moment in this way. So in our parenting, we want to take these biblical principles of God's words that are, that are, that are unchanging, apply them to our individual circumstances, and parent by faith, Again, remembering that God has given us instruction. His instruction is good. And that faithfulness to this instruction is the game. So, the goal then, I hope we're all abundantly clear on this, is not to keep looking for a specific formula, but to pursue biblical wisdom that comes from knowing and loving God. The aim is to turn to Him and depend on Him for what we lack. And every parent should have tattooed on the inside of their eyeballs, James 1.5, that the Lord loves to give wisdom to those who seek it. And that's the need of the hour, isn't it? I need wisdom for this kid, for this home, in this situation. And our Heavenly Father says, I delight to give it. I'm so glad you asked. That's the great comfort that we have as parents. So the comfort that we could turn to in a formula is that it's prepackaged there for us. But the great teaching of Scripture is that God has actually given us his wisdom and his spirit to convict us and grow us, encourage us and strengthen us as we go on. It's actually much more rewarding. It's more challenging. And day by day, it looks like I'm failing. I'm killing it. I'm failing. But it's this dynamic relationship with the Lord, trusting in his wisdom, turning towards my family, and walking in dependence upon him that's actually wonderfully refreshing. Wouldn't you know, God's ways are that way. The thing to remember is that while biblical principles remain universal and unchanging, they are applied to specific and unique ways to each family's gifts, circumstances, uh, difficulties, temperament. So one way that we can grow as parents, or as you pray for parents in this congregation, is that we would grow in biblical wisdom, being students of God's word, And that we would grow in our intentionality of studying our home. As you pray for one another throughout the week, those are are two wonderful prayers that kind of summarize so much of what we're getting at. Help us to be better students of your word, that we would grow in biblical wisdom. And help us to be better students of our home, that we would grow in the application of that wisdom. And watch what the Lord might do 
through those prayers and through the enabling of a spirit as we seek to carry that out as, as parents. For those of you that are older, kids have moved out of the home, it's a wonderful question to ask somebody who's in the thick of it. Is there any way I can be praying for you? What aspect of God's wisdom do you need right now? And then parents, be bold enough to volley back and humble enough to volley back where you think you need wisdom in that, where you're struggling, where you want to grow. And you see how this congregational approach and understanding of parenting suddenly becomes much more than just surfacy. We're actually engaging in, in seeking to help one another and pray that God would, would grow us uh, in that wisdom. So, got a couple minutes left. Any high-level questions on just what we've tried to walk through this morning? Parenting by faith, not formula. Any questions? No question? Very much so. Yes. I had a pastor that I heard say uh, jokingly, before I was married, I have uh, zero kids and seven principles about what it means to, means, means to be a parent. Now I have seven kids and zero principles. Uh, <laughs> you just have all, all these ideas of, you know, before you have kids or even just young in the home, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You get down the road and you throw up your hands like, I don't know. I'm just trying to survive today. So, yes, there's very much, we, I think we can all resonate in that reality of, the, the need to turn towards our home and the need to, to grow in biblical wisdom. Any other questions just in regards to what we talked about? We, we may add it to them. Those are just some of the ones I have on my shelf, some of the ones I've found helpful. Um, if I come across something else, I'll update it and add it to there, but that's just kind of a good primer to start. There's certainly more than that. This is just kind of a few to kind of push you in a good direction. Uh, some of like this one particularly, hey, this is week two. I'm just kind of synthesizing much of what's in this book. So this is really only the, the first half of what uh, Julie gets at. The second half of the book is very specific, um, situational kind of realities. What happens when my kids disobey? What happens if I have a child with uh, learning disabilities? Just some situational for instances. She's a biblical counselor, and so she's speaking not only from her own child rearing, but just as parents have come to her. So if you want some more of the nuance of what that kind of may or may not look like, you might find the, find the second half of that book helpful as well. Um, so last, any other questions? I think there's 
one principle that I've found helpful. There's the ideal and there's the reality. So what are the biblical ideals? Um, are children learning to sit patiently and learning to grow in virtue and character of when somebody is speaking that you're listening? Like those are just things you want our children to grow in regardless if they're sitting in a pew in church or if somebody's speaking to them. So there's certain character things that need to grow. Um, the ideal and the reality and then closing the gap between what that is. And so we don't allow, uh, I think we, I'll say it positively, we're constantly evaluating our expectations to what are the biblical expectations. And remembering that there may or may not be certain cultural expectations that may or may not be biblical. So obedience, children obeying your parents, that's pretty easy. The wisdom of parents turning around and saying, what, what ought I require to, of my child in this specific situation? That's where there's a lot of wisdom that you need to know situationally. Um, to your question about church culture, yeah, there's certain church cultures that are very much too informal and just, hey, anything goes. And you can find a church culture that is oppressive in a sense where it's like, what happened to, we're supposed to worship with reverence and joy. So is, is reverence and joy being understood here biblically? So it's a good question. There's a lot to work through there, but keep the biblical principles at hand. And then what is the functional reality of what this looks like for this stage of life. Again, God gives to us the church, and so there's other families that you could come alongside. Hey, when your kid was six, what did that look like? What were you expecting? How did you grow in this? Um, so that you're kind of getting a cross-section of what does that look like congregationally? So let me pray, and we'll dismiss, get ready for morning worship. Father, we're so glad that you've not left us to ourselves, to our own wisdom, to our own experience, even our own expectation or ideals, but you've given us your word, which is clear. It's sufficient for all things, for life and godliness, that you are a God who loves to give wisdom. And so even in, in this morning, as we as parents can see our absolute failure to apply your truth in wisdom, Lord, we rest in your grace, we rest in your mercy, and we rest that you delight to grow us in this in this uh, category of biblical wisdom. So, Father, help us to become better students of your word, better students of our homes, uh, that we might parent by faith and unto your glory, we pray. Amen.